my name is Doc. I am hosting a softball tournament in June. Actually, it will be June 3rd, 4th, and 5th, the first weekend. It's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday event uh, to raise money for Mission 22 to help prevent veteran suicide. Because as you know, 22 veterans a day commit suicide. I personally am a Mission 22 survivor. This June will be 15 years for myself from when I tried to commit suicide. So it's just in my heart to give to Mission 22. I would love for y'all to be a part of this tournament by giving donations. Um, I can be reached by email and it's beard, B-E-A-R-D, bash, B-A-S-H dot softball at gmail.com. I would greatly appreciate as many donations as possible. And it does not have to be $5, $10. It can be 50 cents. All money, all proceeds will go to Mission 22. Welcome to a Veterans Drink of Vodka production of Article 15. Here at Article 15, we are working to put an end and raise awareness to the 22 veterans who commit suicide every day. We talk to veterans, everyday veterans, about everyday issues that they are suffering from. Today, we're talking to Sarge, who served in the United States Army from 2001 to 2015. If you're looking for him on TikTok, he's Veteran Army 420. Uh, he's my friend on TikTok for sure, where grown men go to meet. Uh, he served on uh, two deployments to Iraq. He is a 91 Bravo. Sarge, welcome aboard, brother. Thank you. So, uh, Sarge, you want to talk about the 91 Bravo? Uh, you know, I'm Navy. So, to me, I'm like, I don't know what the hell that means. So... When I first went in, they called us a 63 Bravo, which was a light wheel vehicle mechanic. We worked on anything that was two and a half ton or smaller. Then, you know, how the, the wonderful military changes shit, they uh, changed it to a 91 series, which became an all wheel vehicle mechanic. So basically, if it has wheels on it, we work on it. Gotcha. Uh, you know, so you're you're looking at like the Hemets. Uh, they might call, I think they call them something different in the Navy, the Humvees. Basically, if it has a set of wheels and tires on it, we work on it. Now, does that transfer pretty well into civilian life? Yes, it, it does. Being from military, going into the civilian world, you can walk in to basically any diesel mechanic shop and pretty much get a job right off the get-go because everything's pretty much the same thing, just slightly bigger in the military. That's that's pretty awesome, man. I, I mean, for a lot of guys who are getting out, you know, so I'm a bosun mate. I don't know if people are familiar with what bosun mates do. We do a lot on the ship, but nothing transfers outside of the military, really, unless you make like an E5, E6 ranking, then your leadership skills kind of come out 
We do uh, replenishments at sea. <laughs> As people know, we do a lot of shipping, sanding, priming, and painting and sweeping, uh, making sure that the ship looks good. But I did small boat ops, uh, like I said, vert reps and all that stuff. It, But it was all like not my primary job. You know what I mean? So I was like a jack of all trades, but a master of none. So trying to say like you're, you're, you're a specific working on mechanics to me, I would, they'd be like, so you help land helicopters. Yeah, I did. I did. Like, so do you know what you're doing? Not really. It was just kind of like a part-time gig. That's what, that's all it really was. It wasn't my primary job. Well, what was your primary job? I don't really want to talk about my primary job of painting and chipping and sanding. So you joined back in 01, right out of high school, right? And yeah. you, so you and I are basically the same age because I graduated 01 as well. Military was kind of on my mind, but you had your paperwork ready to go before you even graduated, man. What was your mindset for about that with all that? Well, I, I decided when I was nine years old, I wanted to join the military. I just didn't know which branch. When, uh, when I was in high school, I was actually in the JROTC program. Uh, it was a Marine Corps program, and I excelled pretty well at that. And that was pretty much what set me 100% that I was going to go in the military. When, when I enlisted, part of, part of that was I had to drop out of the Marine Corps JROTC program because I was basically wearing an improper uniform. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I was, my mindset was military from the word go from when I was a kid. So where so, are you originally from? I'm from Washington state. You are from Washington state. So it was just kind of like one of those things that it was the military for you from the get go, huh? My parent, you know, my family tried to push the college thing and I was still dead set on joining the military. When I was getting out of high school, I went, I went to a, a, a very good high school. I went to Mount Carmel here on the South side of Chicago. And, um, I graduated, like I said, Oh, one college was not in it for me, man. I, it, it, I, I was not mentally ready for college. Had I actually got accepted to a college, I would have failed miserably. Mm-hmm. And I, I probably would not have had as good as a life as I have right now, even with a college degree. And I'd be like up to my ass in fucking debt. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is I didn't like high school. So the way I looked at it is I didn't want to go to college and waste money to do something that I was probably just going to end up partying the whole time. Yeah. No kidding. That's why we joined the military. Yeah, so we could party the whole time. And get paid, right? Get- <laughs> in your time, and you were there from, you were in the military from 2001 to 2015. That's quite the stretch, brother. It's 14 years right there, man. You headed out to Iraq. You said you were out in Balad, or uh, not Balad, but Baghdad, which is right there by Balad. That's where I was at. What was going, when did you go out to uh, Baghdad? Uh, I was the second initial push into uh, Iraq in 2003. I got you. Basically, it was a it was a trip. Your first deployment is always because uh, you don't know what to expect. You don't you don't know anything. We had the pool. We got to go to the pool one day. Uh, the pool exploded. 
it took, took a mortar around right as I was walking to it. Got I got wet, but not how I wanted. <laughs> you know, it, it's just, I mean, I wouldn't change anything. I mean, going to combat, going to Baghdad when in 2003, when the shit was still rocking and rolling, that's, that's a little different on that because of you, how do you explain? I mean, when you could be sitting there watching TV, you watching a movie on your computer and next thing you know, you hear a slight whistle and then go boom. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, you know, it, it's just kind of one of those things. It's like anytime you, you can't really relax. You're always vigilant, hyper vigilancy, very vigilant. And my second deployment though, that was in 2008. And, uh, that was, you can't even compare the two. Yeah. Uh, you were actually on like a base and everything in 2008. Yeah. I was actually on a base. Uh, it was, it was called U West. It was 60 miles south of Missoula. We had a base. We had 360 security. We had, I mean, there was other active duty units. There was, I mean, it was basically like you were stateside. I got you. Yeah. And I mean, with an occasional IED going off every now and then. Yeah, I got you. Night and day different. Completely different. Uh, well, I'd imagine so. They didn't have all the security forces and everything set up. You guys were pretty much, uh, when you guys got out there, the wire in 03 was pretty much just like an open fence. Yes. Right? We were, we were trying to figure everything out. We were coming out of Kuwait over uh, at Ali Asalim and everything. Where we were in Baghdad. It's easier to say Baghdad than trying to describe where we were. Um, Baghdad suburbs. They're very nice. They have wonderful, you know, <laughs> wonderful golf courses. The bunkers, sand bunkers there are treacherous, though. Be careful. A couple of yeah. water hazards. They'll blow up. They'll do all kinds of stuff. But we were, most of our security, most of our perimeter was trucks. Big ass trucks. I got you. So you guys were pretty much circling the wagons and everything. Exactly. I said I didn't think of it that way, but yeah. <clears throat> well, that's what that comes from. When you're setting up a perimeter, you need that circular perimeter so you have everything set up and uh, you circle the wagons, man. So you watch out for anything that's coming at you. All right. So 2015, you wound up doing 14 years. Is Now, did you get out on your own? Is this a medical discharge or what? I was medically retired. You were medically retired. Which works out very well when the VA comes into place and they can see that you're medically retired instead of having to hand them paperwork after paperwork after paperwork that they get to lose over and over and over again. And you're trying to fight just to get yourself a claim. It's ridiculous. So when the that medically retired thing comes in, it's like, here. Oh, you're okay. We got so you. Basically, what you just described happened to me. I I came back and I joined the National Guard here out of Washington so I could be okay. a dad. And, uh, well, when I was getting medically retired, you know, I wasn't in the process of getting medically retired when I tried to get my disability claim from the VA. So it literally took five fucking years. Then when I got my medical retirement, like you said, I handed it to them and they're like, oh, 
six months later, I'm 100% disabled. Just like that, man. Isn't that killer? But you get these guys that come in that have all this paperwork showing that they were blown up, they were shot at, that they had all these issues, knees, back, shoulders. What is it? Head, shoulders, knees, and toes, knees, and toes. Like everything is fucked up on them. And they have the paperwork and the VAs and they're like, uh, I don't think this is service related. <laughs> what are you talking about? Here, I got a rucksack for you. And we're going to go ahead and put that on. Don't forget your Molly gear too, you dickhead. Like, yeah, this is all, sir. Like, I didn't just jump out of a plane for the shits and giggles of it. I have a, I have a buddy that lost his arm in a rollover in Afghanistan and uh, it's service connected. Obviously the VA tells him it's not service connected, <laughs> but they gave him his migraines. They service connected his migraines, but not the, the pinching off of his, his left arm. I, I actually took this arm and hit it so that you guys would think that I, it was service related. This is a big ploy so that you guys would just pay me because my arm is all fucked up because that's what I wanted. That was my whole goal from when I was 16 years old and wanted to join the military. So I fuck up my own arm just so I can get a couple of bucks from the VA. Seems like a good trade for me. Like What right. the fuck, man? Well, it's like my first deployment, you know, uh, I'll talk about it a little bit. It was fucked up. I was so I'm also Hotel 8 certified. Which, which Hotel 8 is a recovery specialist in the military. So you drive the big-ass fucking wrecker around. Gotcha. And it's fun. Well, unfortunately, because of being the wrecker operator, you see a lot of fucked-up shit. And I went to get out of my truck one day to recover a Humvee, and I took a round right in the body armor. You know, and you watch all this shit in the new, or on TV and in the fucking movies and shit, and... They'll go, well, they get shot in the body armor. Next scene, they're up shooting people. Uh, I'm it's sorry. not how this works. It's not how this works. I was on a respirator for six fucking weeks. Where did you get hit? I got hit two inches below my neck. So right in the sternum there. And it left a bruise about yay big on my chest. And that's with a sappy plate on, too. Yes. Through the Kevlar, through the Kevlar vest and the sappy plates, and uh, it didn't, it didn't break skin, so I didn't get a Purple Heart. I could fight for it, but I'm not gonna. I got you. That sucks, man. Amber and Amanda here. We want to tell you about our good friends over at Scale Executive Search. Scale Executive Search is a veteran-owned and operated executive search firm serving aerospace, tech, and startups. They've managed to set themselves apart by not only understanding the job market, but also ensuring their candidates and clients are invested in not only their careers, but also themselves and their families. So we did our tours, got back and we got out 2015. What has been our steps since then? What, mm -hmm. what, what happened in 2015? We hung up that uniform for the last time. What happened to Sarge after that? Uh, started drinking. Oh, boy, did I start drinking. And I would do it when I would make it look like 
I wasn't drinking. So I would, I was basically sneaking booze for a while. Then my, my, she's now my ex-wife, but was my wife at the time. She got me to start smoking weed. To a bad thing. To try to get me to stop drinking. We had this conversation. We, I, I think weed, you know, marijuana, cannabis, whatever it is, the medical cannabis, whatever, to help alleviate that that sense of urgency or that anxiety or that nerd, um, that hyper vigilance to kind of lower that, to yes. allow us to not be numb. But that's what the alcohol does. It numbs us. The yes. the cannabis, from what I understand from other veterans that I've spoken with. It doesn't numb you, but it takes away that that hyper vigilance. It allows you to be in the moment and be with the people that you want to be with, which is an amazing thing. Correct. But I I also started started spiraling in 2015. So the weed was helping a little bit, but I was using the wrong the wrong source of marijuana for myself. Okay. I have to smoke the indica, which is a relaxant to keep me out of, out of my head. Basically. If I smoke the sativa, which is more of an uplifting, then I get in my head more. And I, you know, I start questioning things and running all sorts of scenarios through my head. The what if the what if, and I didn't know the answers to it. And I was too embarrassed to ask anyone, you know, for help. And at that particular time, I would go, I need counseling. Then I would go to counseling for, say, six sessions. I'd feel better and I'd quit going. I did that for many years. With at the same time, yelling and screaming at my ex-wife or it was current wife at the time yelling at my kids you know letting every little thing piss me the fuck off and uh it took you know my ex-wife dealt with that for about seven years then she kicked my ass to the curb in 2018 and that's when everything truly, truly sunk in for me that everything I was doing was wrong. And that's when I also started putting in, you know, cause initially I started, I, when I got into counseling that I'm in now in 2018 and stuck with it, it was to get my ex-wife back. You know, us veterans have the tendency to not do things for ourselves that's a fact. And so I started I started with trying to get my ex-wife back and the, you know with that also trying to you know doing different things and trying to get her to be impressed with me I guess. You know that I'm doing this. And then when it sank in that I wasn't getting my ex-wife back, I focused on just being a better father to my kids. That's a beautiful thing right there too, man. And since I started focusing on being a better father to my kids, I it's been working out 
tremendously for me. My counseling sessions last anywhere from five minutes of a quick check-in to, I mean, it could be 45 minutes. It all depends on if I need, need that, you know, but backing up before I got to the counseling here, fuck, everything pissed me off. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there, brother. You know, and it's taken for meeting like people like you, Amber, true soldier and a bunch of others there on TikTok to finally realize that I'm not the only ones going through what I'm going through. Our memories and shit are different, but what we actually go through is all the same. That's very right, man. And, uh, those names you dropped, Amber, who's one of our uh, producers with the Veterans Drinking Vodka organization, uh, True Soldier, that dude, I'll tell you what, man, some of his content on TikTok, and I know it sounds weird for a grown man to be saying that, but some of his content on TikTok has got me through not a bad day, but like just a bad mindset right at that point. I see him, man, and he just perspires just uplifting moods and you know you could tell that when that dude gets in a bad mood he he you better look out but he is just try to be positive and i i've been trying to get him on the show uh he he is out of indiana man i hope to meet up with him soon he's a really great guy uh i love that he's he's always got the the dinosaur thing going on but yeah you, you've named some really wonderful people and there's some other great people here on tiktok and we are live on my tiktok feed um, we're going to, we're going to try This is a, this is a test test to see how this turns out. There's some really great veterans on here. Uh, another one, if you ever get a chance, nightmare soldier, a wonderful guy that we got to have on here. Uh, 11, uh, Mac 11 Bravo, uh, another good dude. You know, if you hear majority of the guys that I've had on this show now, ha- I've met through TikTok. wonderful people. My dude, Justin, who runs the uh, veterans referring veterans, uh, you know, you got Eddie, who's down in uh, Georgia running Tackle 22 Fishing. My buddy Wood, who's got his uh, customs furniture, 135. He's he's hysterical. He owns an, an old insane asylum that he does woodwork out of. And these guys are just out here trying to bring a little bit of lightheartedness to, you know, people like you and me who have done, have had some traumatic experiences and helping us kind of laugh at some of it, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're understanding what's going on. And I'm happy that, that, that counseling is working for you because it, you guys can't see it right now, but if you join, join our Patreon page on our website, the veteran Street Kavaka website, you'll be able to see this, uh, this podcast. Actually, you can see in, um, my brother's, uh, background here, he's got his little dude hanging on his back in a picture, which is just, that's exactly what little kids do. And what little kids are supposed to do. And uh, when you tell me that you are working on yourself and becoming a, a better father, that that's what it's about, man. You People say that you lose your purpose when you leave the military. That right there hanging on your back is your purpose in life. It took me a while to figure it out. You know, and that's the thing is, you know, I'm here to tell you, if you have kids, which I've heard, I heard you say that your kids destroyed your check, your, 
your interview sheet, you know, that's the best thing right in the world is, you know, you're seeing, seeing your kid do something for the first time with a big shitting grin on his face. That there is more important than any military time you can do. You know, the other week, my five-year-old, she, um, made a peanut butter peanut butter sandwich for the first time all by and i recorded it and sent it to their mom you know look at this you know that's more impressive to me than a private you know disassemble and reassemble a 50 cal yeah you know it's 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 miraculous man I'm, i'm watching each one of my little kids i got three of them that i know of i got a lot of years in the navy so my wife, my wife is understanding. So if somebody shows up, like a, a six foot blonde hair, blue eyed Asian kid shows up, says he's from Thailand. Uh, she said, as long as it's before 2009, the kid was born before 2009. She's okay with it. But um, watching these guys, you know, I, my one little dude, Charlie is my mini me to the T and my dad laughs at me every time I call my dad to apologize for something that I know that I did as a kid. I just, I'm so sorry. And he laughs and he says, what did Charlie do now? And I'm like, let me tell you what this little dude, he wakes up in the middle of the night and just starts taking toilet paper down and throwing it on the floor. I mean, it's just, it, it, you see it and you're like, motherfucker. And then, but you're like, <laughs> why why does he do it like but then i watch him drive his little power wheels around he's he's actually like feeling like he's driving a car and he says dad look i'm like you i'm driving a car it's just like it was like uh, don't be like me man don't be like me it's like my yesterday my uh my five-year-old she went potty in his bathroom there's like a half a roll of toilet paper in the toilet it's like you want to be mad but at the same time you're like why and the bad part is you will find privates that do that as well yes <laughs> the uh my daughter at one point shoved an apple in the toilet and flushed it and i'm just like Wait, why 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 would you put an apple in the toilet i was done with it fair enough i i, I can't argue that but uh so 2015, we got out. The alcoholism was kicking in. So uh, my brother, my oldest brother and I, we were just talking about this yesterday, um, how this seems to be a reoccurring thing. Uh, And we talked a little bit about it yesterday in your live, um, that this is a reoccurring thing with veterans, that we we run to the alcohol. And my brother brought it up with me. He's like, I remember you were drinking um, heavily. Uh, like a lot, a lot. And it was to go numb, man. It was to not feel anything to that hypervigilance so that you could actually sit. Yeah, what were you it saying? Was, it was to kill the memories, to kill any feeling that of remorse of guilt, whatever. It was just go numb. And when I was drinking, I basically lived at the fucking tavern I was drinking at. I, I knew everybody's schedule. And when I say everybody, I knew all of my bartender's schedule. I knew when and who was working. I knew when the barbacks were working. I knew what bouncers were working and what hours. I knew when everybody was going to be there. It was mm-hmm. bad. I I went to the ta- my the tavern I drank at so much, 
that the owner used to take me around in a 1932 Model A to do the fucking bank run. Yeah. And it, it, we, and with being military, we, we wind up working and I grew up in an Irish Catholic family in an Irish Catholic neighborhood on the South side of Chicago. We worked alcohol into everything mm-hmm. and it became a cultural thing for me. And I, I found this out. And um, one of the big things, one of the guys that's from my neighborhood, his name is Tommy Gagan. Wonderful dude. Grew up with him. He's always been a pretty tough kid, you know, uh, just outgoing. Just That's what it is, man. You know, south side of Chicago type of kid. We had our little league uh, baseball parade and whatever like that. And they were putting down rules on opening day. And he was telling everybody there's no alcohol allowed at little league. Now, growing up, my dad would be at these games and him and his buddies or whoever else would have their cooler with them. They'd have a couple of beers and they'd watch their kid play baseball. My dad was the guy who was out in center field yelling at any kid and every kid that's on my team and calling them Brazzle, my last name, while they were up the bat. And I'm sitting in the dugout like, come on, Braz, swing level, Braz, good cut, good cut. And all the, everybody's looking at me like, why is your dad yelling at over at Smith? telling him to swing level, but calling me is, I don't know, whatever. But when he said that, I was like, what the hell, man? Why can't we have a couple of beers at little league? And this, I, I, would, I didn't have any kids. I wasn't married or anything like that. I was just a coach. And uh, he said, if you can't come to little league and watch your kids play baseball without having to have a couple of beers, then maybe you need to get yourself checked. And I was like, huh, never thought about it like that. And it kind of resonated and then went away and I um, started drinking again. And it was, we have my nephew's baptism coming up. Oh, I can go run to a bar really quick, grab a Bloody Mary in between the baptism and the after party. I was the, I was the godfather. I can, we can do that. It'll be fine. Or I can, uh, you know, run to this bar or grab a six pack for this party or grab the, you don't have to drink. And I'm not telling anybody, hey, you need to quit drinking. No, I'm saying that we have turned what? alcoholism into a culture so that we and it's it's not even for some of the events that are drinkable. You probably shouldn't like, oh, shit, he died. we got to go to this wake. Well, let me go ahead and grab a flask really quick. I'll just keep that in my suit coat jacket and uh, well, we'll do a couple that's of. That's kind of like the people that show up to a one year old's birthday party with a six pack. I was that guy and you know, I too, you know, or the guy with the flask or whatever. And, you know, it's like, now I see, you know, since I didn't quit drinking, I slowed down quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, quite a bit, uh, I drink like twice a month now. Uh, that's a lot. like, that's a lot of slowing down. That's a big slowdown. That's a significant difference. When I was married to my ex-wife, I literally quit. I mean, I didn't quit drinking. I had a drink when I felt like having a drink. Yeah. And no one ever asked me to quit drinking. I just saw where I was going. And just went, uh-uh. And, and that, that's one of the biggest things. So I've been sober now for about two and a half weeks. And it's not something that's going to be staying. You know, I'm, I'm going to drink again. A buddy of mine just said, 
uh, he came out to visit me in the Midwest. He's from uh, LA. So he's Mr. Healthy and everything like that. He came out to visit me in the Chicagoland area. And we just, we, we kicked it off Midwest style. We were eating burgers and drinking beers and we weren't drinking that whatever the ultra lights that they have in California. We were drinking full on diesel Budweiser, having at it, having a great time. Um, he put on 15 pounds from that visit alone. So uh, he's like, I'm going to quit drinking for right now until mid-June. My wife and I are going to be going away to Nashville uh, in mid-June. So I was like, you know what, dude? I'll, I'll support you. I'll quit drinking. So I've done it. it. It was my decision. And that is the key point to this. It has to be your decision. If you're going to quit drinking, then you're going to quit drinking. You have to know why you're quitting drinking and stick with that reason. If you were like, you know what? Quitting drinking is not going to be an option for me, but I do need to slow down. That picture right behind you, that's a reason to why you're going to be slowing down. That's, you know, that's, I, that's a good enough reason for anybody. See, I don't drink beer anymore. You know, I, when I drink, I drink whiskey. But I'm at the point in my life now where because of the picture behind me, I won't make that. You know, it's very easy for me to make that decision of if I'm drinking, as soon as alcohol touches my lips, my keys are, I give up my keys. That's a good move. When I first got back. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. How I never got a DUI, I don't know. Well, you're in backwoods, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We would like to give a huge thanks to Rafa 180. Rafa 180 offers pure medicinal CBD and products made locally. They walk alongside individuals to achieve a healthy lifestyle with options needed by each person. You can learn more about them on Facebook at Rafa CBD, their website www.rafa180.com or email at rafacbd at gmail.com. They truly believe your journey matters. You came back and it was 2018. You said you and your wife kind of went your separate ways. Yeah. Uh, what, what was going on then? You know, I mean, obviously it's, it's a rough time. You know, your wife kind of steps to, to sidesteps in one way and the kids are involved and you're kind oh, of by yourself. I hit, I hit rock bottom September 17th of 2018. Uh, I hit rock bottom. I put a gun to my head, pulled the trigger, it went click instead of boom. Come to find out that my girlfriend I have now, that's her birthday. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. Did, now, did you know her at the time or did you guys meet afterwards? We met af well afterwards. Okay. And she, uh, I made her, you know, I was just telling her a little bit about my story and everything. And yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty bad because at that particular time, losing my wife, I felt like I lost the one thing that meant everything to me. And that was my family. When yeah. in all reality, we get along, my ex-wife and I get along a lot better as long as we're not together because we were whether whether me yelling and screaming and complaining and bitching about everything all the time and taking it out on her, not physically, but mentally, you know, the yelling and everything, 
we were drifting apart no matter what. So we would, we were completely wrong for each other, but yet we thought we were perfectly right. Um, but I've made mistakes between now, uh, between now and my ex-wife on trying to date when I wasn't ready to date and, you know, just trying to show people that I, you know, being the military and the veteran, just trying to show people I moved the fuck on when in all reality, I didn't want it. You know, yeah, that that, that uh, happens, man. You know, we 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 get this void that's in our in our life after the military. We feel this loneliness that winds up coming about, and we try to fill it with things. You know, mm-hmm. we we feel even in a full tavern, like you would go out to the bars, you'd be there Monday through Friday, you know, and it's obviously empty, but you know everybody that's there. But on Friday, Saturday, it's packed, and even though you're in there, you know everybody in that room you still feel alone. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's still, you're there for the atmosphere, but you still have that same exact feeling as if you're sitting on a couch at home by yourself drinking. Mm-hmm. That was a feeling that I, I dealt with on a regular basis. I, I felt alone. I, I missed my brothers and sisters in arms. I missed having a purpose. I missed a whole lot of things. And that's how I wound up back in Iraq. And, uh, I don't, I don't recommend just taking off to Iraq. I mean, go with the air force. If you're going to go, I'm just saying they have nicer shit that go with the air force because you'll get substance housing allowance living in military. The air Uh, force gets substandard living pay. The air force does get substandard living pay. If they have to even look at the army's barracks. True effects. I found that out in the air force. But, you know, it was like, I tried, I being medically retired, I, I literally, I tried everything that I could possibly think of to be able to get around my medical retirement to go back in. When I was still in, I got married and divorced and everything. That was, that was easy to forget. I didn't have kids with her. I didn't, you know, it was easy to move on. Especially when you was, I was in the military, you just go distract yourself with something else. Okay, yep. you're getting divorced. Go down to the bar. That chick will give you a lap dance for a buck. Uh. What bar is this? And I have lots of bucks. <laughs> and that that was one of the key words, what you're talking about right there, that distraction, that to to get your mind off of what we should seriously be dealing with. And as I was talking about nightmare soldier, Brandon, who is, I think he's like episode 11 or 12 of the podcast here. He is now actually going from army units to army units. He is talking with different units before these people are getting out of the army and letting them know. And he was an E eight. So he's part of top man. He did some, he did some ops. He he's got his combat stuff. He's talking with these junior soldiers before they make that. Oh man, I'm just going to get out and get a job and, you know, be awesome. Like how about the part where you're a fucking idiot and you don't know what you're talking about. If you do really have college lined up, you do really have a job lined up. That's fucking awesome, man. But if you are just getting out because you don't want to deal with the bullshit politics of the army anymore, I got some fucking news for you. 
the same shit that happens in the army happens outside of the army. And if you have some issues that you're not dealing with and you say, I'm just going to get help when I get out. I don't want to get kicked out of the army because of it or Navy or Marine Corps or Air Force. I got 22 for you, 22 people every single day who said, I'll get help when I get out. And they did not. And it was too late for them. I was guilty of it. I'll get help when I get out. You know, like coming back from deployment and you got psych, you got psychiatrists there willing to talk to you about everything when you're coming back and you can, you can opt to skip that stage. Well, knowing what I know now, <laughs> talk to them fuckers. Talk to them. That's what they're there to do. They call it like a behavioral thing, don't they? In the army, it's called like behavior or something. Behavioral health. So that sounds like a, an odd name for it, but whatever. Uh, being able to go and talk to a provider is very, very vital for uh, these these soldiers and Marines and sailors and airmen that are coming back. Regardless of your 11 Bravo or your 0300 or any of that, your front lines, you're not front lines. If you were out on a FOB, if you're in you know, the Air Force and you sit at Balad, Iraq and your support the entire time, you're still getting mortared. You're still in a hyper vigilant. You're still head on a swivel style. You that it's not a normal thing. I was fortunate enough to get a job as a police officer, fortunate and unfortunate to get a job as a police officer. And it, it transferred my issues transferred over kind of well. You know, I'm still a vigilant person. That shit is still resonating with me. I'm still seeking help uh, and talking with a mental health provider. And she has diagnosed me with a um, hypervigilancy. Uh, but it you you go to a restaurant and you're the first one, in, you know, either the second, third, fourth, whatever it is into the restaurant. And you're looking for exits and entrances. You're looking to see where the bathrooms are. You're keeping your back up against the wall. This is not normal behavior for regular people. They don't do this shit. They don't care where they sit unless they want to sit next to the cute girl or the cute guy. When they go into a restaurant, they don't care where they're sitting unless they're watching a sports game, obviously, but they don't care where they sit. They don't care what table, as long as they don't sit by the entrance because they open up the door and it lets in a cold breeze or something like that. They don't want to sit by that. We sit with our back against the wall. We constantly are vigilant and seeing who's going where. And this is not a normal behavior. And it's it's something that we are going to be dealing with for quite some time. My father was a Chicago police officer. He still sits with his back against the wall. And he's been done with the police department since the nineties. My dad so it, did. Died. And it's something that we have to, I, I don't want to say unlearn because you know what, man, Easy. and this, this is where I'm fucked up in the head. I'm not going to be prepared. And this is something I have to tell my provider. I'm not going to be prepared for that day that it actually comes, you know, and happens to me that I'm in a restaurant and said, fuck it. I'll go ahead and let my wife sit with her back against the wall. And, you know, knowing my luck, that'll be the day that a shooter comes into a restaurant. And it's, that's the fucked up thing in my head that 
civilians are like, why would you think that? Like, I'm going to be prepared. When we were going to uh, my daughter's birthday party in a suburb, it was it was a jump in fun, like uh, those blow up castles and stuff like the bouncy castles. It's an entire indoor facility of these bouncy castles and shit. My, my bug out bag was in the car and my wife is like, what's up with the backpack? I was like, that's my bug out bag. She's like, for what? I was like, well, it has extra ammunition. It has a change of clothes. It has an MRE. It has, it's like, we're in a suburb. Like what, what the fuck? It was like Antifa said they were going to be out this way. I'm prepared and it looks fucking like I'm crazy. I used to be that way. I used to be that way until a year ago. What changed? My service dog. You got a service dog? I have a $25,000 service dog. I want a $25,000 service dog. Northwest Battle Buddies. Northwest Battle Buddies. There's another name for you guys. Uh, It's a nonprofit organization. Uh, ran by a civilian that was married to a veteran and she started it when uh, her husband committed suicide as a result to try to end the 22. I can sit, I can go to a restaurant, sit with my back to the fucking door, back to the people. It don't bother me. I have my, my $25,000 service dog underneath the table with me that is on alert. That will alert me like when if a server comes moving up too fast behind me, he'll growl. And I can, you know, he's right there. I can hear him. I can feel him. I can do everything. The Northwest Battle Buddies, I can tell you right now, saved my ass. As much as counseling helped, my $25,000 service dog from the Northwest Battle Buddies is what truly saved my ass. I can go to, I can go and go grocery shopping when it's crowded. You know, when your anxiety gets pick up, picks up, he'll start nudging you to pet him and you just keep, pet, you can walk through that fucking store petting your dog. No one else can, but you can. I want um, to. You know, I mean, you, when you first get your service dog, you, you're still on that hyper vigilance thing. You have to you have to build a bond with your service dog. Um, with the Northwest Battle Buddies, you go to they're here in uh, Battleground, Washington, by Vancouver, Washington. They're uh, you have to come here for five weeks to do the training, and then once a year for five years to recertify. The dog is not recertifying. You are. Okay. You have trained. You have to be trained to control your dog. And then if your dog passes on after the five years, they'll give you a new dog. But just being able to, okay, imagine this. Being able to go to work and having a canine partner with you at all times. That'd be nice. Uh, we got it. We do have a question for you. Do you know if they're taking donations? And if so, how can people donate? If you go to my uh, there, you can go to northwestbattlebuddies.org, all one word, northwestbattlebuddies.org. Um, or you can go to Veteran Army 420 
uh, on TikTok. There's a link in my bio to their homepage on how you can donate. That's pretty awesome, man. Uh, so if you guys didn't hear that, Northwest, you said NorthwestBattleBuddies.org? Dot org. Okay. Or if you guys are friends with uh, Sarge here on TikTok, you can go to the link in his bio is there. Um, I'll be sure to make sure uh, we get this up on our website, uh, the Veterans Drink of Vodka website as well, so that uh, people can easily donate to uh, to such an amazing organization uh, that help I don't out. I not be able to see this, but I have poker chips with my service dog. Willie? Willie. I love Willie. it, man. Those are like uh, challenge coins. I dig it. Can we, can we, can we see Willie? Can we, can we have him on the, on the podcast? Yeah, I just want to see you guys here. We'll, we'll uh, go ahead and show Willie on the podcast here. So there he is. I don't know if you guys are able to see him very well, but you guys can see him. See how to switch this. There he is. Hi, Willie. Hi, buddy. Hi, buddy. Aw, you're a pretty baby, Willie. He's oh, a cream colored golden retriever, also known as an English, an English cream. Dogs are amazing. I'm a big dog guy. <laughs> it's all good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate you, man, showing us, uh, Willie, man. Really do. That, that's that's amazing, guys. If you're able to donate, please, you know, these non-for-profit organizations, that's exactly what they are. They're non-profit. They help out veterans. They're, a lot of the times, they're veterans started or a spouse of a veteran started, sadly, because that they're veteran join the 22 if you're also i don't know if they can hear me or not but you could also go to northwest battle buddies on facebook and they post quite a bit of pictures of the battle buddy teams and what they do uh throughout training on there which is awesome because a lot of people don't do the tiktok uh most people are on facebook so uh that'd be great they got a facebook page guys give it a look um, again, if you're able to donate, these organizations are open because people donate and that's how they survive. Um, we're going to be wrapping it up here, man. Uh, Sarge, great having you on board, brother. I, I appreciate you sharing your story, man. Um, if, if this reaches, you know, just that one soldier, man, it, and, and saves that Marine's life or that airman's life or that sailor who are at that, that point in their life, you know, this this is your one moment to talk to that one person who is experiencing what you went through. If you had to tell them one thing, man, what would it be? Get counseling and stick with it. Get the counseling and stick with it. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so very much for coming on board, man. We're going to be closing it up. And, uh, you know, for all of our brothers and sisters that are out there, you're not alone. For our brothers and sisters that are still wearing that uniform, you're in our thoughts, you're in our prayers. You know, uh, get the help before you get out. It's it's all there, okay? All right, brother, you have a great day. God bless, man. You too.